On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we're taking a look back at our favorite movies and movie moments of 2021 before looking forward to our most anticipated of 2022. That's right. It's time for our annual United States of Film. Get your popcorn ready. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater popcorn and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, happy new year. How you doing today? doing great it's uh it's kind of crazy to believe that it's 2022 i was uh was just as we were getting ready to do the podcast i was like i wonder how many movies were set in in 2022 would you like to have a quick list of 10 movies that took place in 2022 just move yeah movies that were previously made that were like in the year 2022 Mm mm-hmm I'd love to hear uh, this. I'm, I'm super excited. First on the list is Soylent Green. Already. 1973 movie. Not great. Tough. Not great. Soylent Green. Basically, is <laughs> for example, in this, the world of Soylent Green is facing a climate crisis. The yep. planet is overpopulated. Yep. Supply chain issues plague <laughs> the delivery of food. Yep. Wait a second. <laughs> this all sounds familiar. This is a problem. Uh, um, here's night before we get too far away from Soylent Green. What if it's just what the impossible burgers are? <laughs> like, what if we're just picking up homeless people off the streets and grinding them into impossible burgers? Hey, would you, you be shocked? An, would you, you be an impossible burger be made? No, I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be like, of course, this makes total sense. Didn't you watch the movies? How do they make it taste so much like beef? They, like, it's tell me that. Impossible burgers, people. <laughs> I don't right. know. Uh, 1990s, The Dark Side of the Moon. Okay. Little Pink Floyd. Uh, 1993, Alien Intruder, starring Billy D. Williams. Mm, that might not be our highest. <laughs> it might not be our uh, the highest quality. Uh, also another Star Wars actor, uh, Mark Hamill in Time Runner. Boy, <laughs> thank God Disney bought Star Wars and brought these guys back because it was dire. Ray Liotta in the 1994 movie No Escape. I know that movie. That's a, well, it's it's funny after the two movies you just listed, No Escape. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that movie. It's got uh, it's got some good people in it. It's got Direct, a, directed by Martin Campbell, who would go God. on to do Mask of Zorro and Hell yeah. Eye. Hell yeah. It's got Lance Henriksen and Kevin Dillon and Ernie Hudson. Like, like, is it great? Probably not. But there's pedigree there. Uh, Funny enough, there was a 2009 movie that was set place in. 2022 called death wave awesome <laughs> i'm just wondering if there's any t- movie set in 2022 that was like things are pretty good funny enough 
2013, The Purge was set in 2022. Uh, well, okay, yeah, a little in the not so distant future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, Geostorm in 2017. It's honestly the best movie that we've mentioned right now. Geostorm's incredible. And uh, you should re- you should not only revisit our episode on it, but you should absolutely watch that movie. I'm almost certain it's streaming right now. <laughs> uh, those are the ones because the last two they have on their list, I don't count because a movie that came out in 2021 that goes into 2022 doesn't count. Nor okay. does nor does the Tomorrow War where it's actually based in 2051, but they go back to 2022. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, very, very, very rarely are we given a glimpse into the future that is like the year 2022. Things are pretty great. Like not not it's <laughs> that's not exactly ripe for filmmaking or storytelling. Where do, if you were making a movie and you were doing something out in the future, what number would you pick? Um, I'd pick something far. I'd pick something like the probably the turn of the new century. So maybe in like the 2090s, you do realize people that are being born like my kids. Yeah, will probably live to see 2300. Precisely. Precisely. It's not tw- well, 20 or 2100. Oh, I was going to say 2300. 2100. 2100. <laughs> That's I will say the only thing I'll say about that, David, is that's incredibly optimistic that we're going to be around by twenty one hundred. <laughs> and I commend you for your glass half full mentality. That's just, that's just because you watched Don't Look Up not too long ago. We're all going to die. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're in. We made it somehow inexplicably made it to twenty twenty two. You know, if you guys have been listening the last couple of years, like there's no doubt about it. It's been rough. It's been rough for the podcast. And it's been rough for movies out there. You know, it's we went from tenant in, in 2020 in like August of 2020, making like 60 million dollars to now Spider-Man No Way Home is the eighth highest grossing movie of all time. We did that in what, 15 months. Um, it's been inconsistent. It's been incredibly stressful. It's been difficult to plan too far in advance. But fortunately, You know, 2021 was full of some pretty good movies and some pretty good movie moments, in my opinion. And as we always do. And actually, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. I might have, David, before, but I would like your opinion on something really quickly. How do you feel about people who are like publishing their best of lists like the second week of December and. I have a caveat there in which I will give them credit where credit's due in that odds are these people have had screeners and they have seen some of the movies that have been out in limited release and stuff like that. I know personally, I have never liked when people are writing like their best of lists or their Oscar predictions list when there are still, you know, a couple of significant movies to be released. How do you feel about that? Well, as a podcast who does the far too early Oscar predictions, <laughs> I can't, Those are predictions. I, can't, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, yeah, it, it does feel a little weird, especially when there's movies like uh, Macbeth that we know was pretty sewn up and not a lot of people had seen until it came out and was released. So, you know, not 
having a movie with that much hype and those people behind it factored in. Uh, but, you know, on the other hand, I get it because, you know, it's the end of the year. Everybody wants to talk about like year in review. Everybody gets their Spotify. This is what you listen to all year long. And so people want to take advantage of the fact that, you know, for whatever reason, people like to listen, read best ofs towards the end of the year. It's true. And, you know, we always do this podcast episode just at the start of the new year. Um, but, you know, even us, when we when we come out with this, we're probably at the tail end of people doing, you know, 2021 retrospectives. So, you know, I get it. I agree. It seems weird to do it without some of the biggest movies still not being out and in the general public. But uh, yeah, that's just why we're better than them. So. <laughs> I wouldn't I a bold that's a bold statement from you. I would not dare to be so presumptive. Um but it's in in a similar vein I like to go to the end of the year. You know, I like to make sure that I watch everything that I possibly can within 2021 before talking about all of the favorites and all of the greats and things of that nature. And we took the first week of the year off because, you know, we can and and also when this is when a lot of podcasts take the first year of the week off, but now we're here, we're back, and a lot of other people have got movies to be seen. So I wanted to take this opportunity, as we always do, to go over some you know fun categories, some categories that we made up this year, talk about some of our favorite movies of the year, and then wrap this bad boy up with, with a list of 10 completely different movies from you and I on what we're looking forward to this year. Um, so we have I didn't count all the categories, but we have a handful of categories here that we're going to go through. We tried to, you know, we tried to mix it up. We tried to, you know, throw some interesting things in here. And also, I specifically only added two runners up so that I couldn't list like 18 things for each category, which he, you're you're still going to end up mentioning like four other names quickly. There are some perhaps <laughs> there are some perhaps. Um, suffice it to say, it's a pretty good rule of thumb that any movie that we bring up is we are going to talk spoilers about. So there are movies in our lists such as uh, Encanto, West Side Story, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, there are all different. Those are the big ones. Uh, no Time to Die uh, is another fairly big one that are big franchise movies that made a ton of money that you might have not been able to see yet. And so we are going to be talking a considerable amount of, a considerable amount of spoilers for those movies, David. But let's start. I'm going to start at the bottom of the list and then we'll get to our top 10 of the year. Um, but we had our first category. We had most underrated, most underrated movie of the year. And we really wanted to give that to a movie that stuck out to us as a movie that we really enjoyed, but had a perceived lack of conversation around it, which frankly is a lot of movies. A lot of movies come out, they're released on a streaming service, they're, they burn bright for a, a week, maybe, and then nobody really talks about them anymore. Um, but we had a couple of similar ones on our list. Who's your first runner-up, or I guess your second runner-up? Uh, as far as or actually just go through yours. What are your most underrated movies, your runner ups and your winner? So first one for me was and I, who knows, I may revisit it and change it. But 
you know, I think whenever you're doing a, a best of list and you're thinking back through the year, you know, it's always going to be difficult to probably, you're always going to have a little bit of recency bias, I think. Sure. Because, sure. you know, something I saw in March that unless I decided to go rewatch some of those movies in anticipation of this podcast, I probably am not giving their fair due, but I try and think about what are movies that I can still remember distinct parts and remember enjoying my movie going experience. And, and one of those um, that came out earlier in the year was free guy with Ryan Reynolds. And I just had a lot of fun with it. You know, it was, you know, obviously a, a, a video game movie to a, a large degree, um, not like a remake of a video game, but obviously right. playing off kind of the video game uh, narrative. But I just had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was funny. I thought it was creative. Uh, I thought there was, you know, obviously elements that you could feel from things like, you know, Truman Show and, you know, different things like that. But at the same time, like I thought, I thought it all worked for me. And I know we pot did a podcast on it earlier in the year and talked about it. And I, I, I believe we both did pretty uh, ranked it pretty high on the popcorn meter. And uh, yeah, I just, that was, that was one of the ones that to me, as time's gone on this year, I don't think anybody really talks about, but one that I really enjoyed this year that, that obviously is not going to get any Oscar love or anything sure. like that. So there's not going to be anything to uh, really revisit free guy, but it was one that I enjoyed and I'm sure it'll, it'll most likely have a, a decent second life on on streaming and things like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's going to be on Disney Plus. It's going to be on uh, streaming services and digital and stuff like that. You know, it's funny. I, I, I try not to let some of the other podcasts I listen to cloud my judgment because there have definitely been podcasts out here that declared like they essentially declared Free Guy the Antichrist. Um, and I, <laughs> I found that particular take to be interesting uh, and I don't entirely disagree with it. But like you, like is there something to be said about the uh, regurgi re regurgitation of just content in certain areas, particularly the end, which which I found fun, maybe. But like you, I had a fun time with it. I just I had fun with it and I didn't have fun with it just because it was like, ooh, look at that thing. I had a genuine enjoyment of the way that they built the world and the performances in it and the way that they played to Ryan Reynolds strengths and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I had a good time with Free Guy. Absolutely. What's your uh, what's your next one? Well, no one ever gives this guy enough due. No, it's true. And so I, I have to go come go back to Wrath of Man, which I think we saw also in the first half of 2021. Yep. With with my guy. With my guy in it, uh, your favorite. I mean, you're we're talking your favorite guy, Richie. We're talking your favorite Jason Statham. We're talking Absolutely. your favorite heists. Like, yep. it's almost yep. like Guy Ritchie was like, let's make a movie for these two. Exactly. So just checked a lot of boxes. Was everything that I would have hoped for from the movie. Actually, probably even went beyond. You know, I probably was expecting kind of a straightforward heist film. And, you know, they told it in a little bit different fashion with the different chapters. And I really dug, you know, the names of the chapters and the way that kind of they put the pieces together. And so honestly, like I love Jason Statham. I'm here for anything. And I would probably be praising this regardless. But 
I genuinely really enjoyed that movie and thought it was well done. And and again, not a movie that's going to get any Oscar buzz, not anything, but it's going to live on on TNT getting uh, replayed for 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 years to come. I'm sure there's going to be. Oh, man, it's like the textbook TNT movie. It's absolutely. I can't. I bought it. I bought it on Blu-ray. I own it. I own. I own the digital copy. I am like. I'm. I'm locking it in. I'm. I'm. I've never I'm been more proud enough. of you. <laughs> Wrath of Man also on my list uh, for underrated. What about yours? What is the most underrated movie for you? Of the most underrated for me is another one of my favorite favorite people in the industry which is steven soderbergh and his yes. no sudden move which i feel like we hyped up a little bit on uh, on this podcast a little bit and we obviously got excited because of the people that were involved in it loaded cast you know soderbergh being someone that we love from the ocean movies and um, among other things yeah, oh, yeah but um you know it was definitely like kind of a a small movie, which he bounces between, you know, he kind of does those movies that don't have a whole lot to them as far as like, you know, special effects or, you know, doesn't take you a lot of different places. It's just set in Detroit. Sure. You know, and there's some great twists and turns throughout it, some great dialogue. And it was just a movie that like, like a lot of his movies, like the ocean movies, like I could easily go back and rewatch and it's a easy watch you know, you think of books that are like an easy read that you enjoy coming back to and watching again or reading again. That's kind of what I feel like a lot of Steven Soderbergh movies are. And and this one is is no different in that. sense. Yeah. No sudden move rules. Uh, it is a great little crime thriller with an incredible cast and big ideas, great performances uh, is definitely one of the better movies of the year. Um, what's funny is that I also had No Sudden Move and Wrath of Man as my two runners up for most underrated. And I feel like I will I will I will say I will admit that I feel like my choice for the winner is a bit of a cheat. Because it wasn't theatrically released or anything like that. It was a it's a YouTube video, but <laughs> but it's. I believe feature length. Uh, it's uh, is it? I'm trying to remember if it's a hundred minutes. I think it's a hundred minutes, and it is called Fast Pass: A Q Story, and it is done by the YouTube channel Defunct Land uh, by a content creator a guy named Kevin Perdrer, and it is not only my favorite documentary of the year uh it's just an incredibly enjoyable educational essay and really that's all it is it's, it's a video essay you know um it is on all about the way that lines were originally conceived and evolved in in disney world parks and it is the history of the fast pass and it touches on how like, here's a fun fact. Did you know that the switchback queue didn't exist before uh, Walt Disney? Um, I think it was It's a Small World at the World's Fair where they figured out that you don't have to line people up in a straight line. You can actually 
you know, line them up back and forth and then they can actually see each other and interact with each other back when people used to do that kind of thing. Like it has so many fun little tidbits about the psychology of the way we wait for things and the psychology of how theme parks try to take advantage of these wait times and things of that nature. And it's just an absolutely fascinating story. And the way that it's told is incredibly well, like Kevin Perger did everything in like he wrote the music. He wrote the script. He made the entire thing. And there are a couple of twists in the way that he tells this story that I would put up there with any twists in any movie over the last few years, just in terms of the way he makes certain reveals or um, the way he presents certain pieces of information. So anybody can go watch this right now. It's on YouTube. If you are interested at all in those types of things that I listed off, which I understand not everybody is, check out Fast Pass a Q Story on YouTube, on the channel Defunct Land. It's clearly the most underrated because, uh, like, nobody's seen it. I mean, I know it has a million. It, it has maybe even a couple of million views on YouTube right now. But it's incredible. It's just so much fun. So if you're a Disney person, if you're interested in the psychology of of waiting in line and, and stuff like that, check out Fast Pass. It's incredible. If you um, want waiting in line ruined for you forever, watch watch the history of Fast Pass. There is legitimately a chapter that's just called Class Warfare. Um, and I am, I'm here for it. Uh, I'm absolutely here for it. But yeah, it's an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, it's it came out last month and it's just it's an incredible achievement. Like it's an incredible achievement in in everything that what Kevin Perger has done in building the funk land, which is normally a channel that talks about, you know, um, ride attractions and ride concepts and theme park concepts and theme park attractions that used to exist, but no longer they are defunct. Hence the name Defunct Land, but definitely check that out. Well, it's one of one of the Fast favorite Pass things is now watched. defunct as well. So exactly. So it's you know it's timely, absolutely. But one of my favorite things that I've watched this year. Uh, spoiler we, we alert, should also we should also up. preface this for our our listeners that Rick also enjoys watching the video clips of people riding theme park rides oh yeah you can do that for hours and hours so it's like being there it's 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 definitely gotta fit your tastes oh yeah it's it's it is a niche thing but everyone who i've managed to talk into watching it has either said yeah i checked that after 10 minutes or has really enjoyed it so you know (laughs) if you know if you don't know if it's for you or not you're gonna know really quickly so that's pretty that's pretty good right i like it Let's talk about our next category, best musical cue uh, awarded to the best musical moment in film this year. Now, all all of our all of our nominations are for musicals. They are musical sequences. That's not the original intention of this category. David, you've mentioned this. People who know me know I love movie scores. And that was the original reason that this was. Uh, created this category was conceived in is movie scores like there are some really good moments in movies this year where the score itself really exemplified and helped heighten the situation uh i can think of the swinging sequence near the end of spider-man no way home 
which just has incredible music. Uh, I can also think of, and this might be the only time I get to mention Zack Snyder's Justice League, but the flash sequence in that movie, which in our episode I talked about being one of my favorite sequences in the film. One of the biggest reasons for that is because of the music in it. It's just incredibly powerful music. But, David, would you agree, even though they maybe weren't the most successful this year, we got some quality musicals. We got a lot of musicals this year. Um, what do you think about that? You think you think this is the last year that we're going to get good musicals because West Side Story didn't make a ton of money. You know, in, in the Heights didn't make a ton of money. Encanto is starting to catch on, but, you know, it's been... It's been tough. What you know? What what do you see the the future of movie musicals being? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like it goes in cycles. As much as we're talking about how much box office things made, we've established on this podcast previously that that may not be the only factor anymore. Like it used sure. to be, just look at the box office and you can tell whether this movie was a success or not. There's so many other underlining factors to movies being released these days. Like, did our subscriptions go up to whatever streaming service we have? You know, did it get Oscar buzz? Like, there's so many other ways to judge a movie now than just straight box office that I don't think it's necessarily that musicals are dead. Also, you know, there's a guy named Lin-Manuel Miranda who has still continues to have a ton of hype around him that sure i don't think he's just going to suddenly stop doing musicals or musical numbers or you know what he does and i think he's going to continue to be getting studios paying for him to make things so i don't know that we'll get as many this year seemed really heavy in musicals comparatively um i still kind of count it as like the Hamilton effect to somewhat also Lin-Manuel, but it feels like we've had kind of like a, a hype for musicals post that. And again, he contributed to many of those, but even with Spielberg doing West side story and, and some of the other things that we got this year, I think we'll definitely take a step back and we won't have as many, but I think you'll still see, you know, one or two a year coming out. Sure. I mean, He's come, they're bringing him in to help Alan Minkin write new songs for their Little Mermaid. So hey. it's 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 definitely still happening. Um, I'll go with I'll, I'll go with mine first. Um, it, you know, it's kind of funny the way that these laid out, because my second runner up is the ninety six thousand sequence and in the heights where they are all dreaming about what they would do if they won the lotto to win ninety six thousand dollars and how much. What many people would consider to be a paltry sum would change these guys' lives. And it is just such a uh, incredible mix of characters and dialogue and motivations and things like that. It is uh, the song that I listen to the most from that soundtrack. I love 96,000 from In the Heights. Uh, It's just an incredible piece of, of songwriting and performing. And the way that all the characters are, are kind of laying verses on top of one another near the end is maybe one of the most complex things I've seen. And I don't I mean, I don't know much about music, so maybe it's not. But 
it's certainly incredibly impressive to me. So that's my 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 second runner up is ninety six thousand in the heights. What do you think? Yeah, that was uh that was one of my runner ups as well. I, it was tough for me to pick one out of in the heights. I didn't want to, you know, do multiple ones. Obviously, that's one of the musicals that we've got. Sure. I also need to preface that I haven't seen West Side Story yet, so I couldn't couldn't comment on that one. So or or to be fair, uh, Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> that's true. I, I haven't seen Dear Evan Hansen. I don't know that it would have found its way onto my list, but no. um, so I didn't see that one, but um yeah so i i actually really enjoy the opening number of in the heights to the the title one yeah as well uh i enjoy that part but i think ninety six thousand is the is the right answer as far as the best one from that that movie in my opinion yeah too. it's the, it's the showstopper right um my uh my second one is actually a really weird one from west side story so number one west side story is incredible it, it's I'm I the the weird and I'll talk more about West Side Story in a little bit, but it's it's weird that a, a Spielberg acolyte like me wasn't sure how much I would like West Side Story, and how dare I? Um, but he breathes so much life into every musical number in that film, whether it be America, whether it be I Feel Pretty, whether it be Maria. Uh, there's all different types of music from West Side Story, but to me what I felt to be one of the most successful kind of uh, new versions is G officer Krupke, which is the goofiest song. And it is literally a bunch of these hoodlums who are in a, like a holding room of a police station, basically acting out how they would go to officer Krupke and say like, you know, make all these excuses and get basically cycled through the system where they get handed off to a psychologist and then they get handed off to a doctor. Then they get handed off to a social worker. Then they get handed off to a judge and then they finally get handed off to the police again. And I think the reason that I found it so much fun is because it's so much fun. And the song itself is just kind of old fashioned. You know, they're like this whole G officer Krupke seems just the whole that phrase in itself seems old fashioned, but it does an incredible job of getting you to like these characters when it is also it also does things to make you like hate these characters and be like these guys are are really, um, you know, kind of horrible. It's just so invigorating and so much fun and the way that he stages it in this movie is leaps and bounds better than the way the original 1961 Stone Cold Classic staged it. So G Officer Krupke is, is my second one. And, and like you said, you haven't seen West Side Story yet, but I would how, highly encourage you to. How does the performance of I Feel Pretty compare to Adam Sandler and Jack Nicholson's performance of it? It's I got to I got to be honest. Better. It's better. <laughs> OK. All right. <laughs> All right. Overall pretty it's pretty much better um uh, my second runner-up was surface pressure from Encanto uh, you know I think Encanto has some great musical numbers and and it's and it's a lot of fun um that movie and and obviously you'll probably go on an extended uh conversation about <laughs> Encanto uh, in general 
<laughs> and and surface pressure on its own and and how it kind of hit <laughs> your uh your feelings bone uh and and hit to, and spoken to your soul so i'll leave a little bit of that but you know it was a uh, definitely a different take i think you know obviously for um for pixar you know we we had seen uh what was the one the day of the dead one that we saw what was oh, coco. that one called? coco yeah. yeah so we had seen coco so it wasn't like it was the first time we kind of ventured into you know a different culture luca obviously was you know in italy and that but you know this one felt like really kind of like didn't take your traditional path like there wasn't kind of your traditional animated kind of like storylines i guess from that standpoint it was really like a true like ensemble cast even though we obviously had a, a distinct lead in it and that but you know i i really enjoyed a lot of the songs within it um obviously there's you know a lot of the the mexican culture within it but it's it was just a lot of fun to see you know something different and we watched it i watched it with my parents and and the kids and that kind of stuff and and i sat there kind of thinking like this this feels a lot different than what we've seen thus far and it's it's enjoyable to see that and you know i think obviously one of the things that made it so good were how well the mu- how good the music is in it yeah. and obviously that's lin manuel again but service pressure definitely seemed like the the most impactful of the songs within there yeah it's my number one um suffice it to say all of the songs are incredible. It's surface pressure hit me really deep because number one, the song just slaps so hard just in general, but number two, it's an incredibly catchy and, and um, I don't know what the word is. Like it's a song that you can dance to. Like it's just a great, really upbeat song that happens to be about generational pressure and uh, in a movie about, you know, generational trauma and family pressure and those types of things. And so, and it's been, and I've been on TikTok, which is never a great statement, but there are a lot of older siblings in the world that had to take on a lot of responsibility in the family that are watching that musical sequence and just like are speechless because of the way it represents that general existence. So surface pressure just blew my mind. It's been on my mind constantly. It's one of my favorite moments in, of the year, just in general, musical or otherwise. What's your first? Well, and and I correct myself, Colombia, not Mexico. But there you uh, go. But also, I I wanted to ask a question on that with surface pressure. I sure. would imagine, as much as you're a guy who goes back and revisits soundtracks and scores and that kind, I'm guessing that you don't revisit Encanto a whole lot just because of the impact that it has on you. It's tough. Like it's, honestly. it's not one that you're like regularly listening to on loop. Like you do some of the other stuff. Well, that, yeah. Cause that's the craziest thing, right? Is that like, you can absolutely jam to it, but also as you're singing the lyrics, they deeply resonate you with you in a way that makes you incredibly emotional. So sure. it is, it's wild. The, the, the emotional impact that that song has being something that is incredibly easy to jam to, but also will make you like 
cry. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's wild, man. It's wild. <laughs> well, my my top one was thirty ninety from Tick Tick Boom, which is I believe actually the opening song of Tick Tick Boom. Did you watch Tick Tick Boom yet? I have not yet. You told me that I probably was not in a good emotional position to watch it, Tick Tick. It will Boom. also probably break you, but maybe not. I don't know. It's uh, Lin Manuel exists to break me, apparently. Pretty much. <laughs> You, I don't know why or good, how, but he does. But it, he does. You need a good two, three months in between each Lin Manuel movie. <laughs> but it's it's such a good song. It's uh, you know I think Andrew Garfield's incredible in the movie. Um, the more I've kind of like because I watched it probably at least a month ago, if not, you know, pretty close to when it came out, which I think was in November and or late October, but. I watched it pretty pretty soon after it came out and I watched it on I think Netflix. But you know, it sets up the movie really well and the story obviously it's all about him coming up to his 30th birthday and that's a lot of what the movie you know is based around, but it's just it does such a good job of kind of setting the table and it brings the energy and it really kind of sets the the tone for the movie and Andrew Garfield like I said is just so so great in it and such a big year for for Andrew Garfield from that standpoint um, a movie that I had very little expectations going into and more was sure. watching kind of for the purpose of the podcast and you know keeping up with sort of some of those movies that might be in the Oscar conversation and I found myself actually really enjoying it so nice uh, that was uh, that was my pick for favorites music cue Good, good deal. I'm going to try I'm going to try and pontificate less for our next category. Uh, but our next category is just overall best moment, best movie moment that stuck out to you. And there were many. There are some really great movie moments uh, this year, whether they be. Dramatic movie moments, sad or, or, or happy or thrilling or what have you, what. I'll just have you list off your three. And like I said, I won't pontificate too much. But what would you say are your best moments of the year? Yeah, I think on this one, we actually differ on all of them, which is uh, which is not usual because you and I see very similarly a lot of times on movies. But right. Uh, my first runner up. And again, for me, with best music, best moment, it's what are some of the scenes that stuck out to me throughout the year? So these none of these necessarily have any translation into best movie or anything like that. But like just moments that stuck out to me as I kind of thought through movies that I saw this year. And one of the first one is uh, Suicide Squad. Yeah. When they when they take the camp. So. <laughs> One of the funniest parts about it is, you know, we had all this marketing for Suicide Squad and we had the the previews and there was all these characters that we saw in the previews that, you know, you're excited to see. And literally half of them are just whoosh, gone, you know, in that first uh, invasion. And, and not only yeah. do you later learn that it was probably unnecessary for that to happen, but you know, there was all these fun characters and it was just a really funny scene and just something that, again, one of those moments where you enjoy kind of having those expectations subverted because we're still left with enough memorable characters and the characters that we expected to see in the movie. But 
you know, there was some some really funny characters and some really oddball characters that we got to see kind of in that opening moment, which made it uh, one of the more memorable moments of this year for me. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, I forgot a lot about that movie. Suicide Squad's fantastic. I think it's on HBO Max again. So definitely check yep. it out. It's it's yep. messed up, though. Like, be prepared if, if you're not familiar with James Gunn and what he's about. <laughs> it's messed up. Yep. So, but I had multiple laugh out loud moments in that opening scene or in that scene, not quite the opening scene. Absolutely. Uh, Next one for me is from no time to die. It's the Cuba scene. So uh, when Daniel Craig, uh, I think it's when he first meets Anna de Armas, his character. Yep. Play in the bar and just basically everything that ensues. and, And maybe it's not necessarily a distinct moment. It, Cause it's, it's not short. It's not like it's a little five minute scene or something like that, but all the action I think in there just kind of defines what we've grown to love. I think about Daniel Craig's bond and, and obviously Anita Armas is awesome in it. And, you know, there's some twists and turns, some great action, all that kind of stuff. I just really enjoyed that entire kind of scene celebrating you know, what, what I love about Daniel Craig's bond. And, and so that was one of the, my favorite moments of this year as well. Absolutely. Love. I mean, I, I debated baking an entire Anna de Armas section of this, of this episode. And I ultimately <laughs> did not, I better had cooler heads prevailed, but that's that scene is, I would argue one of the most James traditionally James Bond sequences and daniel craig's entire run and everybody's just having a blast it's just so much fun it's just such a great sequence yep yep all right and then my winner for best moment is from shang chi the the bus fight i think you know obviously this is a big statement and there's a lot of things to think through but it definitely is in my top five action sequences from marvel from all the marvel movies like it's just so well done um you know the action's just great the the setting is great there's some funny moments within there um and just really set the tone for a movie that i don't want to say surprised me but i guess in a large way did surprise me from the standpoint of i didn't know much about the storyline you know a lot of the actors you know, maybe I've seen in smaller parts before, but, you know, didn't really know how that movie was going to work out and how it was going to play out. Um, obviously, it's playing into the larger storyline that we're doing, but we also knew that it was more of an origin story. And so, you know, you weren't going to be going as much into what's to come and more about like, let's get these characters introduced. And sure, let's get them uh, set the bus up. fight was such a awesome way to start out what we were going to get like it was such a high note and such a memorable fight sequence that uh that it had to be my best moment of the year yeah man i mean and those are all fantastic they i'm excited to see what shang chi does after this definitely i'm uh i i really like that movie even though i don't think i show it a lot of love in in the rest of the categories shang chi is still an incredibly incredibly well-made uh marvel movie Uh, and movie in general it's a blast uh, my best moments are are different. And so my my second runner up goes to the Green Knight 
and the entire King Gawain sequence of Green Knight, which again, spoilers for the Green Knight here. So fast forward a minute or two, but when Gawain gets to the Green Knight at the end and then bails in fear and leaves and lies and builds his entire empire on this lie and you just watch his life, he gets everything he wants, but he's never happy and his life crumbles around him. And then we all realize it was all one of a, a dream sequence, basically. Incredible. And the fact that it's all di- it's all dialogue free. Also incredible. Uh, the Green Knight is is one of my favorite movies of the year, and it's filled with beautiful imagery. But that message and that sequence about how getting everything you want based off of a lie or based on dishonesty or a lack of honor doesn't mean anything. And it'll it'll fester in you. Um, I just found it incredibly profound, profound uh, and thought it was David Lowry just doing some fantastic storytelling. My second runner up is the previously mentioned surface pressure sequence. I I said everything I wanted to say about it. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home, but getting all of the Spider-Men together, getting Tobey Maguire, getting Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland together, uh, every time they're together is, is a great moment, whether it be them consoling Tom Holland and talking about their own tragedies in their lives, whether it be them working in the lab together, or my favorite sequence is when... Tom Holland tells them about the Avengers. They have no idea what he's talking about, which leads to all three of them swinging around the Statue of Liberty is it's thrilling. And it's hard not it's hard for people not to be cynical about this being the 20 something MCU movie and the eighth, eighth, eighth Spider-Man movie. And it's hard for people not to be cynical about these these content machines and these huge studios just churning out this stuff. But sometimes you just got to just let your spirit enjoy it. And this managed to take everything that you love about the Tobey Maguire movies, everything you love about Andrew Garfield and his portrayal and pay due homage to them. Uh, And seeing it in a movie theater is probably what pushes it over the top for me. You know, I watched surface pressure by myself in the dark realization that Lin-Manuel can somehow see deep into my soul, but watching no way home in a, in a crowded theater, say what you will about health and safety. You know, hopefully everybody was masked. I was masked. It was incredible. It was so much fun. Let's go to our next one, David. Now this one is one that you came up with best sixth man, uh, which Mm -hmm. is awarded to the person who served the best role outside of a lead. And uh, I have a few here. So so we wanted to obviously give this to somebody who and, and this could be for a, a number of performances. It could be for one performance. Um, I did. Slot some Anna de Armas in here, <laughs> um, her showing up in uh, in No Time to Die again, it's just a breath of fresh air and. She didn't, I don't believe she did much else in 2021. And I want to double check that really quickly. But like we said, like she shows up, she's in the movie for 15 minutes, maybe, and is incredible in it. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. She brings in a whole new energy to it. And, and she's awesome for it. So 
Anna de Armas for the uh, for the sixth man award. I don't think there's a better definition of somebody in in a film serving that role than her in that movie. Um, my next runner up is Florence Pugh. Because damn, Florence Pugh, uh, specifically in Marvel, specifically in Black Widow and in Hawkeye. Yep. And I've heard a couple of people say this, but like she's almost too good in a supporting role. She comes mm-hmm. into Black Widow and absolutely wipes the floor with everybody else in that movie. She is a movie super duper star. She is funny and charming and she just has so much charisma. And then she shows up on Hawkeye and does the same damn thing. Um, a show where that has is Haley Steinfeld is crushing it. Renner's crushing it. And still Florence Pugh comes in and is, is just incredible. She's just incredible. And Marvel getting her when they did and getting her in this role is going to pay an incredible amount of dividends moving forward. So I had it, to give that to Florence Pugh for sure. Yeah. And it, and it feels like, and, and Florence Pugh is on my list as well. And I might as well talk about it too. while while we're at it, but sure. It, it does feel like, and I'm not, I don't have confirmation. I feel like there's an example maybe of this in, in Marvel already of something where, she was so well received that you kind of have to find like whether you had plans to involve her heavily in the future or not, like you kind of have to in some way, whether it be you do another black widow movie where, you know, it's centered around her or whatever the case may be. Like you almost have to find a way to shoehorn her into something because she was that good in in those roles. And, and that to me, um, you know, obviously is a big statement, but I think like the things that I could remember from that is like, I don't know if James Gunn was going to do all the guardians movies, but after <laughs> the first one, you really couldn't not have him do the next one. And I think right. like Taika with Ragnarok, like we can't let this guy not come back and do more within the Marvel universe. So like, I think those are some of the examples that I would think of that I don't know necessarily what the plans were originally, but like once you, once you've seen them and you see the performance and you see the work, like you got to find a way to involve them more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which doesn't my number one pick for six man of the year this year, my best six man goes to Ben Affleck shouts out to my guy, my homie Ben Affleck for Three main performances for getting back with JLo. Now, 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 number one, yes. Like, shouts out to him there. Now, I will say it is if he is ostensibly the lead of Zack Snyder's Justice League. So that doesn't count, even though it's an ensemble. He's he's basically the lead of that movie. That doesn't count. But I am going to give it not only for getting back with JLo, but for him showing up in the last duel and him showing up with like a simple Jack blonde bowl cut and, and basically understanding the assignment and having a blast with it. And then the tender bar where he's getting rave reviews as like the wise uncle, uncle, uncle Charlie 
Like he's Affleck's having a good year. He's coming out of this Justice League crowd cloud. You know, he's dating J-Lo again. He's talking about how making Justice League sucked. And honestly, I'm here for it. Anytime I can give Ben Affleck some more love, I'm going to do it. And so screw it. I'm just going to say Ben Affleck. He's my sixth man of the year. He might even pull out a supporting actor nomination. He might. I'm not right. saying he will, but he, it's possible. Our credibility is shot. <laughs> we didn't have any credibility to begin with. <laughs> That's true. That's He's true. Nominated, like, uh, he did get nominated for a Golden Globe, even though we are saying that the Golden Globes are worthless now. We're not supposed to give any airtime to the Golden Globes. He <laughs> did get a supporting actor nomination. Credit where credit's due. There you go. All what right, about well, yours? What list, are the rest of yours? My uh, first runner-up is Andrew Garfield. Obviously, he had Tick, Tick, Boom, so this isn't for Tick, Tick, Boom. This is for his performance in No Way Home, which, in my opinion, he's the best part of that movie. And, you know, there's a lot to like about that movie, and there's a lot of things that I think people probably gravitate to with all the things that are brought back. You know, kind of the you know, the end of a chapter or a series of chapters for for Spider-Man and Tom Holland, not saying they won't be back, but that was kind of the end of this home series. Sure. But for him to come in, you know, and, and he's he's on screen a decent amount, but he's definitely not. He's definitely a sixth man type role in this and easily my favorite and most memorable parts involve him in this in that movie. So um, shout out to Andrew Garfield and we've praised him already, I think, uh, on this podcast already. So I'll, I'll move on to my second runner or my other runner up, which was Aquafina getting okay. into, uh, and, and you, unlike you, I will, uh, definitely have some love for Sh- Shang-Chi this, uh, this episode. And, uh, I feel like she was the type of person that was needed, continues to be needed in, in Marvel, like we need this balance of like truly funny people. And we've had it at different stages where there's been those people that can carry a scene and, and bring some of that levity and, and comedy amongst all the CGI and action and all that kind of stuff. And and so, you know, I loved seeing her in it. I was not certain, you know, what her role is going to be, what she's going to play. But uh, she was hilarious in that. I loved all the scenes that involved her in it. And so I wanted to give a shout out to her in the six man award. And then I, we already talked about Florence Pugh, but Florence Pugh is my, my winner. So uh, those were my three best six man. There you go. Uh, A great year. We got a few more categories to go. Obviously we want to talk about performances who had the best year overall. And then our our end of the year list and our start of the year list. Before we do that though, we're going to take a quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider 
Becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, David, we're back. Best performance awarded awarded to the person who gave the best, most impactful performance. I'm not talking about lead, supporting. I just wanted to roll performances all into one. You had a couple. Let's start with you. Let's start with your couple. Who did you give for your best performances? Yeah, so this one was tough for me because, you know, best impactful performance. I'm uh, I, I struggled with this one because I think I could have gone a number of different directions. And there's a number of them that, like, I acknowledge were really good. Uh, like Will Smith in King Richard was was great. He sure. was fantastic. Phenomenal. And there was something about it, though, that it was like, I didn't expect anything less. And that's not a knock on it. And it's no reason to. But like when I saw on paper what he was going to be playing and the role and even started watching the movie, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're this is in good hands. Will Smith will do great with this. Like <laughs> it's like hiring. Going out and hiring the the most skilled worker for that specific task that you have. Like, absolutely. You don't really have any doubt that it, they're going to do fantastic. And that role seemed like it was tailor made for Will Smith. So I don't know how it'll end up shaking out in like the Oscars, whether he'll, he'll win for it, but, and I don't know if anybody else thinks the same way where it's like, it was a little too obvious of a role for him. And it feels like maybe even, you know, similar to some of the roles that he's played sure. in the past, but regardless, he was, he was fantastic in there. Um, I already talked about Andrew Garfield in no way home. So I won't yeah. yep. kind of revisit that, but you know, that to me was one of the most memorable performances of, of the movies that I saw this year. But for me, my winner, and this is, I'm kind of cheating a little bit, but I'm going Daniel Craig for no time to die. He brings it as usual, as we've come to expect from him in his James Bond movies. And to me, no time to die. And I know you you had some nitpicks with no time to die. But to me, sure. I add in what he brought to the Bond franchise and like sure. just the complete. I don't want to say change of direction, but like he just brought something completely different than what we had seen both physically in appearance, but also in like the style. And some of that's attributed to the writers and directors and all the people that created those. But a lot of it is credit to him. And he's been Bond for a while now. And I think he was fantastic in this last one and checked all the boxes that we loved about him. And so I felt like this is the last time we're seeing him as Bond. And I got to give him I got to give him the win. Quite literally the last time. Um, and yeah, man, it's hard to fault that like. The, the gravitas that he brought, we, you know, we've talked about it before where 
when you watch Daniel Craig playing Bond, like it feels like something like it feels like you're watching an A-lister. It feels like you're watching a, a, a really high quality performer. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. So I totally understand paying tribute to that. Um, mine are a little bit different, uh, but Andrew Garfield's still a part of it. I wanted to give a little love to the cast of Dune. So I said one of my runners up was Jason Momoa in Dune playing the incredibly named Duncan Idaho. And the funny thing is, is the character, and I'm not a big Dune guy. I didn't read the novels. I'm, I'm not a huge fanatic of, of the source material, but Duncan Idaho is, was always supposed to be like the swashbuckler. He was supposed to be this like traditional, um, basically badass for the house of Trades. And when you watch the David Lynch version, Duncan Idaho's in like two scenes. He gets he gets ganked like a bitch. And it's just like, who's this? And then Momoa comes in and does his Duncan Idaho. And very similar to the way we've talked about before, just exudes that movie star persona and that character of like, I am the adventurer. I am the noble, loyal, you know, hand uh, on the sword. And I thought he was great in it. So really loved Momoa in Dune. Um, and that whole cast is just incredible. But I'm a big Momoa fan to begin with. You know what I mean? Of course. Uh, the second or the first runner up is Ariana DeBose in West Side Story. She plays Anita. And this is another one of those examples of just like a super duper star. She might actually win Best Supporting Actress this year. And she just comes in with just such life and energy to this character there's no really other way to describe it she jumps off the screen and she was actually in hamilton those of you who have seen hamilton she is the one with kind of like the tall curly hairdo better known as playing the bullet specifically in the final duel she is the company performer uh, a member of the ensemble who portrays grabbing the bullet and slowly you know guiding that bullet along at the end, that's Ariana DeBose and Spielberg just crushed that when it comes to casting. Like uh, she's incredible in that movie. And then everything that I said about Andrew Garfield before him showing up in No Way Home is just such an interesting way to play with people's uh, histories with these characters and these performances. The way that he plays his character as somebody who had his life taken from him, somebody who leaned into the darkness and leaned into the, the the anger and the sadness and whatever. And the way that that like almost directly mirrors the way that that franchise wound up. It's just super interesting. And he brings this really chaotic energy. And again, my favorite part of that movie is when they're arguing and Tom's like, I'm Peter one, you're Peter two. And then Andrew Garfield's just like, I'm Peter three, fine. And it is just so endearing. And he's just so much fun in that movie. So I know you brought him up, but I had to bring him up as well. Um, he's just great. More Andrew Garfield, just more Andrew Garfield. He's not, he's bad in nothing. He's literally good in everything that he does. I don't care. It's just more Andrew Garfield, please. And thank you. I like it. All right. Our last regular category before we get to our lists here, best year. And this one is a wide one. This could have been a very wide net. Any one of the people that I mentioned before, Affleck could have had best year. Anna Darmus, Florence Pugh, here. any one of those people could. Listen, Affleck's had a pretty good year. I'm just going to say, but he's yeah. not on my list. So 
I'll go through my three best years, then I'll let you go through your three best years. Um, my first, my my second runner-up is is a little questionable because of the kind of reception of her Marvel movie. And I'm talking about Chloe Zhao, who directed The Eternals. Um, obviously, that movie was not really recepted or received, excuse me, in the way that I thought it would be, or the way that many people thought it would be. It was way more divisive and way more outwardly rejected for whatever reasons. I wound up really enjoying Eternals quite a bit. Um, but one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because, number one, obviously, Chloe Zhao got to make a Marvel movie, and that's pretty incredible. Uh, and she got to make a Marvel movie that I would argue is definitely one of the most different types of Marvel movies that we've gotten, even though the stuff that happens in the movie would break the world. Uh, literally, like it would the, 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 the earth would collapse. Society would be in ruin. N- not only that. Lest we forget, earlier this year, she released Nomadland and won a freaking Oscar for Best Director. She's only the second woman ever to win a Best Director Oscar. I got to imagine that's got to count for something. And so she's got a year in which she wins a Best Director Oscar, wins a Best Picture Oscar, and releases a Marvel movie. That's a pretty damn good year, in my opinion. Whether or not the Marvel movie is universally beloved or 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 divisive as Eternals was. Um, My second runner-up goes to Andrew Garfield. Obviously, we've mentioned a lot of things this year, but Garfield has been doing a lot. Not only is his appearance in Spider-Man No Way Home incredible and impactful and has people wanting more of him, but as we already talked about, he's in Tick, Tick, Boom, which is a huge performance from him. He's in the eyes of Tammy Faye, which is another you know very large performance from him. Uh, And he's, again... Beloved, people want Andrew Garfield in things. And so I had to give it to him. And then you and I have the same winner. We've already kind of mentioned it. But Lin-Manuel, being out there, having, I mean, big year for Lin-Manuel. Not only does In In the Heights come out, but he directs his first feature film with Tick, Tick, Boom. He's got Encanto out. He makes Vivo for Netflix. Like he's everywhere. Lin-Manuel's everywhere right now. And while there is some, maybe a little bit of overexposure happening, there are definitely some people who are over Lin-Manuel. Uh, I'm not. And like I said, he, he finds ways to dig deep into my soul. So I support it. I think he's had the best year. Uh, who would you say has the best well, year, had the best year? I'm going to pull a Rick and I'm going to have an honorable mention here. Ooh. And it's, and it's and it's more I'm going to clearly acknowledge. I feel like for the credibility of us <laughs> that there's a name that should be on here that is on neither of our lists, and that's Timothy Chalamet. My guy Dude was in the French Dispatch, Dune and Don't Look Up. Some pretty, pretty big, pretty big projects. Pretty. And he's yeah. playing Wonka. I mean, come on. Yeah. So. The, the the guy had a pretty pretty darn good year. That being pretty said, also getting getting uh, getting away from kind of the things that I feel like he was known for early on. Um, good to see him getting a variety of work. He's definitely one of the uh, the big up and coming names. I feel like I feel like he's kind of in 
that role that uh, Adam Driver was like a year or two ago. Yeah, yeah, I, he definitely like, is. He's working and he's working with great directors and great talent. Absolutely. Too. But my first runner up or second runner up, whichever way you want to look at it, I cheated. I admit it. This is not a person. This, I'm going to say second, anim- this, the, the immediate direct thing you say after I want to lend a little bit of credibility is we're cheating again. <laughs> yep. So animated movies. Hell I yeah. just feel like I was thinking about it and I was thinking back through movies I really liked. And maybe it's because I have kids and I had to watch way. I've started watching way more animated movies than I did in the previous years of my life. Sure. Since I was young. Nothing wrong but with that. I just really enjoyed a lot of the animated movies I saw. And I like appreciated. Like, especially as I watch like some not great ones. Yeah. I really appreciate the good ones that we have. So like Mitchell's versus machines, you know, we're going to talk about that here coming up, but you know, one of the great movies of this year, not just animated movies of this year. Uh, I really enjoyed Ron's gone wrong. We talked about Encanto. Um, I just feel like there was a lot of like really high quality animated movies this year. And, you know, I even think of like, kind of this stretch that we're on. I enjoyed Luca. I know you had some lesser feelings of Luca. Not that you didn't like I it. still liked it plenty. Yes, but I just feel like it was a, a really solid year for animated movies, and I'm not even including LeBron's not great Space Jam or uh, <laughs> or the Paw Patrol movie that I had to go and see with my kids, but other than that, I just, I don't know. For some reason, as I was thinking through it, I'm like, just feel like it's been a really good year for animated movies. I feel like the level's been, like, Pixar took animated movies to another level. But I think we're starting to see, like, you know, next year we get Spider-Verse. And we had that a few years back that was not just a good animated movie. It was a great movie on all levels and accounts. And I feel like Mitchell's versus the Machines was that. And I feel like, you know, in Canto, we're not just getting like, you know, we used to get like okay music in in animated movies. Occasionally we'd have a big name like Elton John or someone like that do a, a song number, but like we have like Lynn Manuel Miranda like putting in an entire soundtrack in like the yeah. mu- the music is like really good and it's not in like a cheesy way either. So um, so yeah, anyways for as i was going through it i decided i'm throwing in animated movies and cheating so there you go that's all right i accept the cheating uh other runner-up was daniel craig i've already talked about daniel craig and given him lots of love but just feel like you know in honor of of the work as james bond had to put him in there uh as he went out in uh in a very big way in as james bond this year he really did. And then we already <laughs> talked about Lin-Manuel and how he is both of our winner for this year. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, the 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 thing is, is like, again, the stuff to love is there. And I just am really excited that we get to celebrate that kind of stuff. I think that there's been some really good stuff and some really good years and some really good movies in general. Um 
Yeah, man. And it's, it's great to go through those categories and, and talk about the stuff that we love, which leads us to our top 10 movies of the year. Now, I, again, I'm going to try not to pontificate too much here, but you want to just go back and forth. Number 10, number nine, number eight. We'll start with you at number 10 and we'll go round robin. What are our top 10 movies of the year? David, starting with number 10. All right. I feel like we both need to preface this by saying the movies that they think that they saw this year that probably would make this list or that they haven't seen that would probably make this list for them or have a very good chance. For me, it's Dune and West Side Story. Dune, I've just refused to not see it anywhere but in theaters and I'm running out of time, so I need to hurry yeah, up and get you're kinda, you're and see it in theaters. <laughs> cutting it pretty close, so maybe I'll end up having to break what I said, although I did just get a big inflatable screen, so maybe I'll watch it on there. there regardless, go. Dune and West Side Story, uh, as well as uh, Macbeth, are the ones for me that I haven't seen, I want to see, and probably have a very good chance of making their way into my top 10 for the year. But do you have any that immediately come to mind for you? Yeah, there's a couple, um, you know, Tragedy Macbeth is another one. Tender Bar is one. Nightmare Alley is one. Um, and then it's kind of stuff that we're still waiting on. Licorice Pizza is one that's out there right now. I never saw House of Gucci. We're still waiting on some some other, uh, you know, a couple of other films to be released in, in 2022 wide. But I've seen most of everything that I really, really wanted to see aside from those four or five uh, right. that could very likely make the top 10. But I just, you know, I not right. see them yet. Well, my, my number 10, I've already talked about. It needs no further discussion. It's just fantastic. And that's Wrath of Man and Jason Statham. There you go. I mean, and it is. It's a great time. It's a, definitely a rewatchable big fan of wrath of man. My number 10 is going to come as a shock as somebody who absolutely hated army of the dead, <laughs> Zack Snyder's army of the dead and had just made gigantic issues with that movie. I really liked the little prequel that was on Netflix called army of thieves uh, that follows the German safecracker Ludwig Dieter. I loved that. It's a heist movie. I love the way that it set this like myth mythological kind of world building based around like these four world renowned safes. Uh, and it was, I just had a fun time with it. The music was real good. All the performances were real fun and it's a heist movie. So like I'm in the bag for it, but I, that's my number 10. If, if anything, because I was shocked at how much more I enjoyed it compared to how much I did not enjoy army of the dead. Uh, what's your number nine, number nine for me. Again, another one I've talked about, as as you'll see, kind of my first couple on this list we've talked about in my underrated. I got Free Guy on there. Again, a movie that I just enjoyed a lot. I did not listen to podcasts that ruined it to me <laughs> for me. Uh, it's one that I could, you know, it's a popcorn movie. I could go back and watch, have some good laughs, pick it up, start rewatchable movie for me. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm here for Ryan Reynolds doing funny stuff. My number nine is The Harder They Fall. And this maybe should be even higher. Uh, this is a Netflix movie directed by James Samuel with an absolutely stacked cast that includes Lakeith Stanfield, Regina King, Delroy Lindo, Idris Elba, Zazie Beetz, Jonathan Majors, 
all of them playing historical black, uh, like Western personalities in a somewhat fictional story. That is just a blast. Like it is a great Western movie and it is so much fun and has so much style and attitude had an absolute blast with the harder they fall. And it's on Netflix right now. So you can check it out and you should check it out. Uh, that's my number nine. What's your number eight? David? That's a, that, that one would fall into another one that I could easily see making my list one that I still need to, For to sure. sit down and watch, but for sure. Uh, next one was the last of my underrateds, but uh, is no sudden move. So Steven Soderbergh, Stack cast heist movie. Take my money. There you go. Uh, and I'm almost certain that's on HBO Max right now. So check that out. Yep. Uh, my number eight. Uh, I gave it to No Time to Die. Honestly, you know, I was thinking about movies like Don't Look Up and Being the Ricardos. And, and honestly, Don't Look Up should probably be on here. But much like Surface Pressure, for as much as I enjoyed it, it, it just gives me a lot of existential dread. That's just really hard to rectify. And No Time to Die is on here for the same reason that you mentioned Daniel Craig in that it's a representation of his run as James Bond. Uh, I just, again, really, really enjoyed it despite my nitpicks about it. The music kicks ass. The action sequences are phenomenal. The casting is really good overall. No Time to Die, my number eight. And Daniel Craig's run as Bond, maybe the best Bond we've had. Uh, and that's saying something. That's a big deal. So, yeah, that's my number eight. All right. Number seven we've talked about as well. This was a movie that you were hyped for and we decided to do for the podcast. Uh, topic was was fine for me. Just didn't really know a whole lot about it. And uh, but it was the Green Knight and very different story, especially for, you know, kind of Knights of the Round Table kind of stories that we're used to weird movie in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, but I really liked the storytelling, the way it kind of worked out and you kind of already described, you know, one of, if not the best scene from the movie and, and sequence from the movie, but it was just, uh, I, I really enjoyed it again. Some of it comes to didn't have a ton of expectations, but you know, the performances are fantastic and, I uh, just really enjoyed something different and and a different take kind of on that Arthurian round table type of history. Absolutely. I, the Green Knight's further down on my list as well, but it's a gorgeous film. It's it's a tapestry of a film with incredible cinematography and amazing themes that are explored in ways that, you know, you're not used to in this type of film necessarily. So I, I definitely it's on my list as well. I put Fast Pass, the Q story from Defunctland as my number seven. Everything I said about it earlier still stands. I still think it's one of the best nonfiction stories I've seen told. I think it's one of the best informational essays that I've ever seen. And if you love anything about movies or uh, not movies necessarily, but Disney, Disney parks and the way that those things work out, just go watch Fast Pass, uh, a Q story on, on YouTube right now. It's an, I, I, like I told you. It, it it's so good, but there's absolutely no way I could rate it higher because it's a YouTube movie and I'm already getting away with more than I should. There you go. YouTube making a making a first uh, <laughs> visit to the top 10 list. It's I true. like it. Uh, number six for me is Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, it's one of those things where. I've never been as 
big into the Spider-Man franchise, but I've really loved the Tom Holland franchise of Spider-Man. So I you was have. never huge into Tobey Maguire. You've never been very huge high on, on it. Yeah, and was never super into the Andrew Garfield. Obviously went and saw them, enjoyed them, that kind of thing. But for whatever reason, maybe it was the distraction of of everything that they brought and all that kind of stuff. I expected that this one would have been, you know, top three for me. Uh, it was still fantastic. I still loved it. Andrew Garfield was the MVP for me. Had a lot of fun with it. Excited about kind of the foundation that it laid moving forward. But uh, checks in at number six for me. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, it's 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 higher on my list as well. I mean, I said a lot about it already. Uh, I. Yeah. I said, screw it. And I put Eternals at number six. Um, I get I get the divisiveness, but I real and I talked about this in our episode on it. I really do weigh um, effort and complexity uh, over execution sometimes. And I just really love the the story that Eternals told. and, And it really worked for me about the just all the different characters and and what it means to exist and what it means to stay loyal to things and the way that that these characters interacted with one another and and frankly all the action all the special effects like i had an absolute blast with eternals i really really enjoyed it and i hope that we get more eternals i hope that we get more chloe Zhao stuff like this movie tried to do something different and and it did it 100 work not really but it worked enough for me. And so Eternals is number six on my list. There you go. I decided to get a sports movie in there. And there you go. Appropriate. Diversify my list a little bit. <laughs> I went with King Richard. Talked about Will Smith a little bit earlier on the podcast. But, you know, I think the performances are great um, all around. I think, you know, it was a, a story that I knew a little bit about. You know, obviously no Venus and Serena Williams, but I found myself really enjoying, um, you know, everything about it. It was a very simple, straightforward kind of biographical take for, for lack of a better term. Um, and our boy, who was it? Uh, John Berthal. Berthal. Yeah. Loved him in it. He, he did a great so job good. in there as well. And I mean, I'm, I'm for anything that he's in, but. Um, yeah, I just found myself enjoying it as I was thinking about some of those movies that stuck with me. King Richard uh, definitely makes the list, checks in at number five for me. I almost brought Bernthal up in a couple of the other categories because he's had a pretty strong year as well. Uh, anything, Anytime Bernthal shows up, I'm in on it. Uh, my number five is The Green Knight that we talked about already. Again, in a gorgeous film and one that deals with concepts of honor and doing the right thing and commitment, even in the face of absolute fear and adversity. Uh, and Dev Patel, man, I mean, just incredible in The Green Knight. Uh, and I'm excited to see what comes next for David Lowry. I know he's doing a Peter Pan movie for Disney, which is exciting because his uh, Pete's Dragon movie is maybe my favorite live action remake that Disney's done. Um, but yeah, Green Knight, number five, no question. Nice. All right, number four for me was one that kind of hit like a sweet spot for me from the standpoint of 
you know, where I'm at in my life with the kids definitely had kind of like a reinvigorated take on, on Disney and Disneyland in particular and theme parks and that just with the fun of taking the kids to there. Not that I didn't already enjoy going, but like find myself in that mode and that's jungle cruise. So definitely not perfect, but it fits kind of that void of like pirates movies and things like that, that just I'm a sucker for. So I really enjoyed it. I had a great time with it. It's funny. I love the rock. He's doing the rock things, Dwayne Johnson things. <laughs> and, and yeah, I just had, I had a good time with it. It was one of those movies that delivered on my expectations and I enjoyed it and I didn't really care about maybe some of the, uh, <laughs> the cracks or issues that may be in there. Also a really good James Newton Howard score uh, that mm, I really enjoyed. Yeah, music's Jungle great Cruise in there as well. Great music, real fun. Him and Emily Blunt. And also, I mean, it's I know we keep talking about we keep talking about our boys and all of that. But for our the indie darling that decided to finally take a check to play a crazy German riding a submarine down the down the Amazon or uh, down the it's not the Amazon. Oh, it is the Amazon. Uh, yep. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons with a great oh, heat check in there coming off the bench. Also, Paul Giamatti being completely over the top in his character. Come on. Un- <laughs> unhinged in Jungle Cruise. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I would be on more Jungle Cruises. I give like I- I'm happy to go on more. Uh, my Absolutely. number four. My number four is Spider-Man No Way Home. Everything we talked about just now. Um, it's an incredible culmination of this Tom Holland trilogy. It's an incredible culmination of Spider-Man movies up to this point as well. Uh, John Watts as a director has not been given enough credit on how good this movie is. Uh, I mean, what else is to say? It's the biggest movie of the year. It's the eighth biggest movie of all time. It's Spider-Man No Way Home. What are we talking about? Like, it's phenomenal. And if you can go see it safely, you should do so. That's my number four. All right. Top threes. Uh, first go. on my top three is No Time to Die. So, again, I have exhausted all my commentary on No Time to Die, so I will just leave it at it. I love Daniel Craig's Bond. I'll miss him. Fantastic ending to, uh, to the Daniel Craig saga. Absolutely. Can't see. Can't wait to see what they do next, though. Uh, yeah, my number three is be fun. my number three is Dune because fear is the mind killer and Dune is insane. And the way that Denny Villeneuve crafted this world that truly feels alien and really made an effort to make a world that seemed unfamiliar and weird and not based on tropes or visuals that we've seen before in other sci-fi is is fantastic it's just epic it's it's an epic it is sci-fi epic storytelling at its best and it's my number three it's dune man it's weird as hell which is awesome it's gross it's cool there's sand everywhere you know, the spice must run, all that stuff. Uh, sign me up for more Dune. I can't wait for the for the next one. That's my number three. What's your number two, David? All right. Number two for me is Shang-Chi the, and the Legend of the Ten Rings. There you go. I've been given this 
love all podcasts long for whatever reason i just really dug this movie i love a lot of the moments as i think back through the movies i can remember probably some of the most distinct scenes from this movie it's one of my favorite origin stories of the marvel franchises as i was thinking back on it for like first movies it's it's definitely in competition with some of the big ones and and so yeah that was uh number two for me this year my number two my boy spielberg west side story again like i don't know why i doubted but it's really not that surprising that a director who's a master of crafting incredible thrilling action sequences also happens to be a master at creating incredible thrilling musical sequences it's the same language just slightly different and west side story is absolutely incredible it's 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 invigorating and it's amazing the way that he was able to breathe new and different life into that story into a story that's 60 plus years old 60 years old or so um, that's my number two. And then I actually didn't expect this, but we have the same number one. We do have the I don't, same number one. I don't know that that's ever happened. I didn't check the stats, but it's it's rare for sure. It's it's funny because I look at this list, you know, and I look at yours and I look at mine and I'm like, I don't know how this list is going to age, but I feel good about my <laughs> list today. Yeah. So take it as you will. 2021, while it wasn't 2020 and as weird as 2020 was with the fact that we didn't get a whole lot of movies, 2021 was still kind of like a hangover from 2020 in that it felt like a weird film year for whatever reason. I don't think you and I saw you saw more movies than I did, but we probably didn't see quite as many as we normally do um, because of everything going on. But Funny enough, my favorite movie and and obviously your favorite movie as well is Mitchell's versus the Machines. Hell I was yeah. actually watching it earlier today with with Cameron, my oldest, and realizing once again just how great and how much fun and there's a lot of great emotion and and story to it and I just don't really have any faults in that movie and I just loved it and I and I know you you and I have talked outside of the podcast and so i'll i'll leave the soapbox a little bit more for you to (laughs) to uh talk about it because i know this is something that you've revisited multiple times throughout the year multiple times throughout the year it's directed by mike rianda it's produced by a couple of our favorite guys phil lord and christopher miller and it is just such an incredible story about again the generational divide and how difficult it is to bridge that gap sometimes it's a beautiful story about the magic and creativity of filmmaking, like the main character, Katie, is an aspiring filmmaker. It's a story about family. It's much like Ron's Gone, Ron's Gone Wrong, a story against the uh, pitfalls and, and pratfalls of big technology. And more than anything, it's just the way that it's told. You know, it's not confined to one medium. It's not confined to just being CG. Um, it has... YouTube clips, it has live action clips, it has hand-drawn animation, it has a really incredible textured CGI quality to it. It is 
almost painfully funny and also painfully sad. Like there are some deeply, deeply emotional moments in this movie between father and daughter, between a father who doesn't know how to watch his daughter grow up and a daughter who just wants to be loved and encouraged by her father. Like that kind of stuff is incredibly powerful. And like I said before, every time I watch this movie, I laugh out loud by myself, which is not always something that happens and it will make me cry as well. And it also has a gigantic demon Furby smashing through a mall trying to kill people, which is that doesn't hurt either. I awesome. almost put that in my best moment of the year, too, as did I. So I didn't expect this to happen, but the Mitchells versus the Machines is my favorite movie of the year. It's your favorite movie of the year. It's our top film of 2021. Uh, and it's Maybe. an absolute delight. Maybe Lord and Miller should just do animated movies because they're killing it in the uh, animated movies they've been involved in. They are. And the craziest thing is, is they're not even the main storytellers. Like they're not even the directors, like, like as much credit as we want to give Lord and Miller and as much credit as they deserve, they didn't direct either Mitchell's versus machines or spider verse, you -hmm. know, they were producers and writers. And so that's, they still means they have a, obviously a, a hand in the craft, but. It's a, that's that is a, a, a skill in and of itself to be a producer like that and to produce quality content like that is a skill in and of itself. All right, David, let's wrap this bad boy up. We're already we're already almost as long as that defunct land <laughs> lines episode, which, again, you should go watch on YouTube right now. But let's do a quick run through. Let's try and keep it to a sentence of what our top 10 movies are of this upcoming year. What are we excited about? I will go first. All right. And I will actually say that I'm excited for the Uncharted movie. We got Tom Holland. We got Mark Wahlberg. We got an adventure Indiana Jones style movie that is a adaptation of one of my favorite video game series of all time, Uncharted. I hope it's good. There's no guarantee it will be, but I'm excited for it. That's my number 10. All right. You know what? My first one on my list, I feel like it's not right that I talk about it. Yeah, you're a real subtle bitch from putting. I was almost going to put I was going to put your next one on my list. So I'm going to talk about ambulance instead and let you talk about the other because it's only right. Okay. Ambulance. We got Michael Bay. We got L.A. like showing off LA the like it hasn't been shown off since freaking heat right and uh I'm just Gyllenhaal yeah yeah it's it's Michael Bay doing what Michael Bay does best and you can't tell me you watch you you don't get a little bit excited when you watch that trailer so uh, I'm I'm here for it I'm excited to to get more Michael Bay Someone showed Michael Bay how to use drones, and I'm really, really here for it. It's taking things um, to another level. You had as your number 10, The Fablemans, and The Fablemans is Spielberg making an autobiographical movie, which is going to be super interesting because if you're a Spielberg nerd like me, you know how much his, I don't want to say troubled childhood, but his like, fraught childhood, the the breakup of his parents influenced his art. So many of his movies have um, 
motifs that deal with broken families and absentee fathers. And he wound up reconciling with his father later on, but I'm just so interested to see what the Fablemans is going to be. Again, it's, it's autobiographical, which I'm absolutely fascinated by. It's got Michelle Williams, Seth Rogen, Paul Dano. It's also one of his first writing credits since he did artificial intelligence. I don't know how, as a movie fan, how you can't get excited about that, the possibility of that. So that's your number 10. My number nine was Ambulance. What's your number nine? I'm going with the Batman. Yes. Justice. You know, I. We've gotten so much hype about it. You know, we've we've been like it's been like a slow trickle of like this big name is playing a villain. This yep. big name is playing a villain. This like, and it got to a point where I'm like, wait a sec, this is one movie, right? And so yep. I'm anticipating it one. I'm not sure how I feel about our vampire friend playing Batman. I believe in Pattinson. I believe in the lighthouse, I, man. I, I believe in him. I believe in him. I'm I'm interested if if there's anything that I've learned from the Batman series, Heath Ledger, when he did the Joker, was also a pretty unexpected casting, I feel like, for that role. Yep. And so that, I think, has opened my mind to the fact that, you know, we don't have to have kind of those typical castings for for these roles. So uh, excited for the Batman and everything that's going to be bonkers about it. I love it. I'm I'm equally excited. Also, I do want to point out that I purposefully pick different movies than you. I am excited about literally every single one of the movies that you li- you listed. So that's that's just to be universally understood. Uh, my number eight is Top Gun Maverick, and this is a movie that we have been waiting for for three years. This is a movie that was supposed to come out in 2020. Got delayed till 2021, got delayed again till the summer of 2022. Tom Cruise back in the in the pilot seat again, back in the ejector seat, really out there flying planes. Miles Teller, the music, the soundtrack, everything about it. I'm here for it. I just pray. And again, all of these come with a grain of salt. I just pray we can finally see some Top Gun Maverick this year. That's my number eight. All right. Well, my next one is one that I don't even know what it is, <laughs> but the trailer makes me laugh. Yep. And just am completely, completely interested in what this movie is going to be. But it's the unbearable weight of massive talent. I love it. Which is basically feels like Nicolas Cage making fun of Nicolas Cage. And which I'm here for because I also enjoy making fun of Nicolas Cage. And so the uh, the self-awareness that you see in the trailer, (laughs) I I just I can't say that I can think of another movie that's gone into this territory. So the, the fact that we're getting it and I couldn't pick an actor that I feel is more perfect for telling a story like this than Nicolas Cage. I'm excited. Absolutely. Uh, it's going to be real weird. Like, and, and real that's, weird. I mean, what more, what more do you want out of a movie? Number seven, 
this is where I tried to balance it between sequels and originals. You took in, in my defense, you took a lot of originals, but you also took a couple of big sequels. Creed three. Let's go. Michael B. Jordan back in the director's chair. Jonathan Majors as the opponent. What more do I need to say? There you go. But get like, take my money. I'm ready for Creed three. Sign me up. I love it. This your I'm, next uh, movie is the your your next movie is the only one on the list that I had to look up. I like it. I was well, I knew what every single one of these movies were except this one. Well, that's what I strive for. I choose I strive <laughs> to find one that you're not uh that you're not prepared for. Well, so next next up on my list is Havoc. It's my boy Tom Hardy, which mm. I feel like we've covered this before, but Tom Hardy kind of does like one for them and one for me. Yep. And I don't know which one this is, but we got a great cast with Forrest Whitaker, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Justin Cornwell. There's a bunch of people, a couple of other people in it. But the reason why I felt like I was surprised that you didn't know about this is it's being directed and produced by Gareth Evans. Yes. Your guy from the raid. Yes. And it's, it's like a drug deal gone wrong. I believe is kind of the premise behind it. You know what? I didn't really care what the premise was behind it. I saw Tom Hardy and I saw Gareth Evans and I said, action thriller. I'm in. So it's going to be released by Netflix on Netflix, which dampened my anticipation, maybe a tiny bit. But I'm still here for it and I'm still excited. Yeah. When I did look it up, I was like, okay, sign me up. Put it in my eyeballs, please. I'm ready for it. (laughs) My number six, David. It's finally happening. It's finally going to happen this year. Avatar 2. Now, listen, I know that Avatar has become a punchline here, but bet against James Cameron at your own peril. James Cameron knows what he's doing. This dude has spent what? We're now on our, I, I mean, I don't know what, 12th year? Because because Avatar was 2009, if I'm not mistaken. We're on our 12th year of him preparing for this sequel. I cannot wait. It, this I have no idea what to expect. There's going to be some underwater shenanigans. Uh, I there's, there's cast members who died in the first one that are coming back. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm so excited for Avatar 2. I know you'll believe it when you see it, but Avatar is one of the biggest movies of all time. I don't care who you are, and I'm here for the sequel. Sign me up. That's my number six. I like it. My next one is uh, is Bullet Train. I mean, tell the people. We've got an upcoming American action thriller directed by David Leitch. It's got, it's based on a novel called Maria yep. Beetle. Yep. David Leitch, who, di- who directed, co-directed John Wick, directed mm-hmm. Atomic Blonde, directed Deadpool 2. I hear those are good. I hear those are very good. Yep. Especially in the action category, but we've got Brad Pitt, Joey King, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Brian Tyree, Michael Shannon, 
We got Sandra Bullock. There's a bunch of people. I could keep going. There's like 10 more people. It's an ensemble cast, which is always fun. We even got uh, Fuqua producing it, too, being involved. I mean, so let's go. You know, I'm 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 excited to see it. We're supposed to get it in July. Summer movie budget at 85 million, which we've talked about budgets before and things that we like and things that we don't like. Yeah. Um, but like 85 million feels like a really good spot for David Leitch to be in. Like I would be probably more concerned if this was a $150 million budget. So sure, I would agree. I really like where it's fitting in there, especially with all those big names. I feel like probably half that money went to paying the cast, but I'm uh, I'm excited for bullet train. Definitely. Definitely. My uh, it's, I mean, like you said, Sign me up. Let's go. I'm ready for bullet train. It's going to be awesome. Uh, my number five is the Northman. And I almost don't want to say anything other than if you haven't watched the trailer for the Northman, go watch the trailer for the Northman because it is an epic revenge thriller that explores how far a Viking prince will go to seek justice for his murdered murdered father. And it looks buck wild. It is Robert Eggers directing this movie. Robert Eggers is one of the weirdest dudes making movies that right now. He made The Witch. He made The Lighthouse. And now he's making this movie with Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman and Annie Taylor-Joy and Ethan Hawke. And Defoe is in there. Freaking Bjork is in this movie. And the trailer is one of the best trailers that has come out in the last few months. So watch the trailer for Northman and tell me you don't want to watch that movie. That's my number five. I like it. All right. Next up on my list. And I know I stole this one would definitely be on your list for the movie poster alone is Nope by Jordan Peele's upcoming. Yes. And in, in Jordan Peele, fashion we don't really know what it's going to be other than we don't know anything we know nothing it's going to be an american horror film um but again i think you have to use the horror term with jordan peele a little loosely like not that he hasn't come out with horror films but like they're not your traditional what we've come to expect horror movies so it'll sure. be really interesting to see what this is got our guy daniel kaluuya back um Steven Yoon, Kiki Steven Palmer. Yoon. Yep. There's there's a poster. I was a little bit That's dis- it. When I was reading up on it, I was a little disappointed that apparently Jesse Plemons turned down this role. Ooh. Uh, a role in this movie to be in Killers of the Flower Moon. Well, because understandable. Jesse Plemons in a Jordan Peele movie sounds amazing to me, but regardless, I'm excited. Also, I don't know if you saw that uh Hoyt Van Hoytema, uh cinematographer, Ooh. the Swedish cinematographer who did like Spectre, yeah. the Fighter, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, her. He's on for this movie as well, which is pretty exciting to me too. I'm very excited for Nope. I'm also very excited for my number four, which is called The Gray Man. I'm really glad you didn't pick this one. I almost thought you might. It's the Russo brothers. It's the guys who directed, you know, the Avengers, Infinity War, Endgame, Captain America, Winter Soldier. We got a spy versus spy action thriller. Ryan Gosling versus Chris Evans. Anna Day Armas is in it. Jessica Henwick is in it. Billy Bob Thornton is in it. Like, 
I'm just again like I'm in. Are you you like it's written by the guys who wrote the last two Captain America movies and the last two Avengers movies, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. They're bringing the dream team back together. The Russos made that weird cherry movie with Holland that with Tom Holland that didn't exactly work out. But this sounds like it is. I mean, it's going to be on Netflix. It's the most expensive movie that Netflix has ever made. And I'm ready for it. $200 million budget. And which goes kind of against everything we said about bullet train, but like, I can't help but be interested, you know, <laughs> can't help it. Cannot help it. Absolutely. That's my number four. Well, next up on my list is a movie that will be directed by a guy named Martin Scorsese. Have you ever heard of him? Have you heard of him? <laughs> but we got Leo. We got De Niro. This is the 10th movie that De Niro and Scorsese are doing. The sixth one with DiCaprio. I mean, they, they're getting $200 million thrown at them. We got our guy, Jesse Plemons, which I just mentioned, turning down. Lily Gladstone's in it. Um, not a whole lot of info on it outside of basically it's around uh, members of the Sashi tribe in the United States are murdered. Basically, uh, one of the first investigations of that the FBI did with J. Edgar Hoover. So um, should be interesting. It's based uh, on a true story. You can actually look up if you want spoilers on what happened in the case. You can look it up. We know Rick loves spoilers, so I'm sure you already have done that. But it's going to be Apple TV Plus, Paramount Pictures distributing it. I would assume we're going to get a theatrical release, but given that it's Scorsese, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows how that's going to turn out? Uh, my number three is one that's definitely going to get a theatrical release, and that's Jurassic World Dominion, my friends. It's Jurassic World. Like, I don't care what you think about Fallen Kingdom or whatever. You've given me a new Jurassic movie. I'm going to go see it. Dinosaurs all over the world. Not only do we have the original uh, cast from the Jurassic World, we got Pratt. We got Bryce Dallas Howard. We got all those people coming back. We got Sam Neill. We got Laura Dern. We got Jeff Goldblum all coming back from the original movies as well. And I mean, it's dinosaurs, man. I'm a sucker. Give me more dinosaurs for Jurassic World Dominion. I can't wait for it. You're number three. Very upset you took this one, but sorry, you can you can it. add on to it. I'll keep my part very short. It. But no, no, I've got Spider Man. I mean, yeah, what is to say? Sp Spider Man across the Spider Verse, getting some more Miles Morales, revisiting one of the best animated movies, dare I say, of all time, but definitely in the last decade, and it says clearly that it's part one so that means we're going to get two of these but next year is going to be part one and i'm pumped i can't i the fact that we're getting two of these already that it was just part one uh, it's i'm i'm in it was it's the spider-verse man it's literally one of my favorite movies in maybe the last decade so i can't wait for that my number two is a little movie called babylon this is a movie directed by my boy Damien Chazelle, director of La La Land, director of First Man, director of Liplash. We got Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, and a boatload of other celebrities basically playing. Uh, it's a period drama set in the golden age of Hollywood when movies were starting to go from silent to talk, or is it from black and white to color? 
Honestly, I can't remember, and it's not written in the Wikipedia. All I know is it's the golden age of Hollywood, and Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie are going to be in it. It was originally with Emma Stone, and she had to drop out. I just am super excited to see what Damien Chazelle does next. So Babylon, if and if it comes out in 2022, there's no guarantee that it will. But that's my number two. What's your number two? I love it. And I will say, while I took Fableman's mostly to do exactly what I did on this and actually give it to you, but just to, you know, <laughs> needle you a little bit, I deliberately you. left you your boy Damon Giselle's movie. Thank you. Number, I appreciate number that. two on me is legitimately it it was very hard for me to take my pick my top one. Uh, you were nice enough to let me pick my list prior to you picking your list. Yes. But his knives out too. I feel like I don't remember when it was. Maybe it was back in June of this last year, but I feel like every day we found out another person who was going to be in knives out too, like every day, but it's Ryan Johnson who you and I are already big fans of and loved him doing knives out one. We got Daniel Craig returning as the uh, Kentucky Fried Detective, Benoit, Benoit Blanc. Blanc. But, I mean, Dave Batista, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie it's Odom crazy. Jr., Kate Hudson, crazy. Matt Incline, Jess, Jessica Henwick, Ethan Hawke. I mean, get out of here. Like, it's a crazy cast. They didn't go nuts. It's 30 to $50 million. Perfect being distributed by netflix again i i really hope we get a theatrical release uh but yeah. regardless i'm pumped for knives out too knives out too is going to be great all of these i'm excited for i'm so excited for all these movies david i hope they happen i hope they happen i hope so desperately that they happen and that i can see them this year my number one is mission impossible seven i can't believe i got two tom cruise movies on this list but I seen the behind the scenes picture. I seen Tom Cruise jumping off of cliffs and buildings and airplanes and running across trains and stuff. They're bringing back all they're bringing back freaking Kittredge from the first movie. It's Christopher McQuarrie again. It's more Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible Fallout was my favorite movie of the year when it came out. Even though I think Spider-Verse has surpassed it because they both came out the same year. I cannot wait for more Mission Impossible. Ethan Hunt. Do I accept this mission? I do. Please, Lord, baby Jesus, may help this movie come out in 2022. I desperately need it. That's my number one. And your number one comes as no surprise to me. But tell the people what your most anticipated movie of the year is. This movie has been my most anticipated movie of this year for like two years. Yeah. <laughs> As soon as I heard that Taika was going to be back directing another Thor movie and then my life was made complete when they <laughs> announced that Christian Bale was going to be <laughs> in the movie. And can you Plain. can you can you tell the audience his name? <laughs> Christian Bale is in this movie as the villain called Gore the God Butcher, which Take my money. Is incredible, um, and the guard and the Guardians of the Galaxy are in it, and the Guardians of the Galaxy are in it. I'm my goodness, I, I I can't explain how excited I am. I have nothing but the most confidence that this is going to be amazing. 
We got Natalie Portman coming back, which she's going to be, well, not rumored, but it's on the Wikipedia page that she's going to, she's going to be wielding some, uh, some hammer of her own. Let's go. Yep. So I have no idea of anything about where this story is going to go, but knowing that Christian Bale is going to be playing Gore, the God butcher and all the other characters that we're going to have in it. I'm, I'm just here for it and I can't wait. And it's crazy. If it sticks to July 8th release date, July 8th cannot come soon enough. It cannot come soon enough. I need a trailer. I need, I need us to know more. It's, it's wild. It's absolutely wild what this movie could be. And I'm incredibly, incredibly excited for it as well. And if, and, and listen, you have, we have no idea if the world's going to play nice or not, but if it does, we're going to have some amazing movies this year. I cannot wait for it. And I'm excited to talk about them more and more as they continue coming out. That is going to do it for our very long United States of film episode. Before we go, I want to remind everybody that you can get free episodes of the popcorn diet sent to you just by hitting subscribe or hitting that follow button. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review and share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, don't forget, you can follow us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet consider supporting an independent film film podcast like the popcorn diet in a time when film needs our support that is patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and last but certainly not least you can find all of our latest regular episodes articles and more on our website popcorn but for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Wick Williamson, and we'll see you this year in 2022 with many, many good movies on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.